Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation, around the world, in quarantine or in hiding or whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, aptly named. And of course, joined by my always, uh, you know, he's not my sidekick at all. He's a, uh, yeah. a co-conspirator <laughs> and trying to keep folks entertained, informed, whatever you want to call it, about Ohio State football in particular and college football in general during this most incredible of times, I think is the best word for it because there's so much going on. People want to reopen the economy. Uh, people want to get a haircut. People want to go into a restaurant and eat and some sooner rather than later, some with masks, some without masks, you know, and, uh, and, you know, it's going to be a slow reopening around the country and around the world really. Right. Uh, right. Austin. Yeah. I've got, uh, several homage masks already delivered. My mom made some, uh, you know, I think they're – I'm going to follow those guidelines. Like I've said every week on, on your show, I'm not. I'm just along for the ride, that, you know, we've got to continue to listen to the doctors and, and experts. And um, I, I think that I'll do anything that I think helps make college football come back. And maybe that's yeah. you know, a ludicrous kind of thing to say, and, I, and I've said it over and over. But, I mean, obviously I want to stay healthy. I want my family to be healthy. I want your family to be healthy. That's why we're not, you know, we could go do this in the Letterman Row office if we wanted to, but, you know, everything, everything points to the fact that a little more patience is required. And I wrote that last week on Letterman Row that, you know, the reason that we don't know exactly what's going to happen with the college football season is because it's still, it's May 11th. It'd be May 12th when, uh, you know, this podcast publishes on Tuesday morning. And you don't have to know until June. You might not even have to know until the start of July. Right. A lot can change. So, you know, until then, you know, things are going to start to reopen. Maybe we'll get to go into uh, roosters in the next couple of weeks out on the patio. But, you know, for now, I think we, we load up on masks and we still try and stay in as much as we can. Do they call it the patio or, they, or do they call it the coop uh, out there? The roosters think, coop. Yeah, we'll name it when we get there for sure. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. I mean, fun times are heading the coop, my man. But, uh, but yeah, it is, it is interesting how people are rushing. You know, the, the example I keep using, you know, on these podcasts is, you know, this whole thing has been like climbing Mount Everest. And once you get to the top, which is a grueling climb, the toughest part for most uh, people is coming back down, you know. And uh, the, 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 the back side of the mountain can be as tough as the front side of the mountain from the standpoint of, uh, uh, you know, the – just because things have slacked off doesn't mean COVID-19 has gone away, et cetera. And this can be the most dangerous of times. There could be a suddenly an avalanche. Uh, pardon my continuing with that analogy of, of, of brand new cases, et cetera. Because once you start mingling people, uh, mingling people and, and it being more out there, it, it just makes sense that there will be more, more cases of this. And some people will continue to get really sick and some people will continue to die. And it's, it's really, this is the most careful time I think you need to be in this whole thing. I'm not, I'm not going to get on uh, any kind of, as uh, Earl Bruce used to say, any kind of soap opera here and start uh, pontificating about things. But I think this is as tricky a time as there has been so far in this pandemic. And I think that's why we're looking at all the things that are incrementally opening. And at some point that's going to include uh, schools, not, you know, all schools, not just colleges, but, you know, for the sake of, of this show and this discussion, that's going to be part of it at some point. But, you know, there's also the opportunity now that they've talked about and 
you know, commissioners and athletic directors across the country are now talking more about the fact that there doesn't have to be in-person learning at every single school for there to be college football. But and if that's the case, you could have them return and open up the Woody Hayes Athletic Center right now if you really wanted to, uh, potentially, uh, if you deemed it uh, essential. Um, you know, there are a lot of moving parts there, so it wouldn't just be Gene Smith's decision. But we're heading yeah. towards that, that moment, I guess I'm saying, where Ohio State could do that or the Big Ten could say it's time for practices. You can do it. Uh, yeah. Iowa, Iowa has talked about that being on June 1, and I don't think – you know, the last update from the Big Ten was that there wouldn't be anything until that date. And then I was like, that's when we're going to do it. Uh, I think it's probably not going to happen on that timeline. Um, and it, it probably shouldn't, uh, although I'd love it if there were more clear signs of progress. But I think you can take and choose, you know, pick and choose from other places where you're starting to see some growing confidence that, that college football is going to be played this year. And I've, as I've said to you over and over, like the prediction game is dangerous uh, and wrong and fraught with the opportunity to be proven incorrect. I don't really, you know, feel like I'm in a position to do that. Um, but I do get a sense that, you know, there's more likelihood of there being college football this year than, than I've had in a while. It's been yeah. steadily growing. And the thing is like, I wrote a story for us uh, for Letterman Road last week about a couple of insiders telling me how, uh, Gene Smith and his and his group are, you know, just having idea meetings every week, several a week, it seems. They've even broken it down into subcommittees looking at different aspects of it. And you can't just open the doors and say, y'all come. There's going to have to be a method to the madness. And, uh, for example, you know, possibly giving every, each player his own, you know, at least during camp or whatever, his own dorm room or hotel room, whichever way they decide to go. So if in case that player comes down with something, uh, you could isolate him more easily uh, or that coach or that support personnel person. Uh, and, and then the other thing, you know, like I said, the key word there is essential personnel. You know, who is essential to the football program, the actual getting ready to play part of the football program and who isn't, meaning who should be allowed into the Woody Hayes Athletic Center and who shouldn't on a daily basis? And then how do you keep up with those people when they either go home at night or go back to the hotel at night or wherever? And how long will a group of 140, 150 people, probably maybe more than that, yeah. really, when you start counting them up, uh, how, how long will they tolerate, will they go along with uh, sort of a, a continued quarantine situation just to produce a football team? I got to... I have a sense that a lot of them will go along with it for a while just from people I'm talking to just because they, number one, are champing at the bit to get back to it. And number two, they understand what kind of team they had coming back. And they really want to be able to play football this fall and take advantage of that. Yeah. And then number three, uh, they understand that there is a desire among folks like us uh, and fans to see football again. And I think more and more, what's, what's interesting is, I, is I, as I lay my fingers on the pulse of this thing, more and more I'm, I am finding from people I talk to that they would take football even if it's just on television. And, you know, some people have put forth the idea of maybe piping in crowd noise or something like that. I think that would be kind of stupid, although there have been some conjecture that some in, in, uh, Big Ten teams, I won't name any of them, 
would pipe in their pipe up their crowd noise whenever Ohio State and others come to town. Hmm. We'll get into that maybe in the fall. You know, I got the Atlanta Falcons in trouble way back here. Remember that? Yeah. But anyway, I digress. Bottom line is, do you need crowd noise for it to feel like football? Or, you know, I've been in places where people have watched a football game, and when a guy scores a touchdown, they're, you know, they're cheering hard. It's like three people sitting there. So maybe you don't need that crowd noise. Uh, personally, I think if you could just get football in one form or fashion, I think it would satiate uh, the appetite. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, well, I think – I mean, I've covered games in places that have already uh, – you know, I'm thinking back earlier in my career when I was in the Mountain West covering Wyoming, and they played at San Diego State, and San Diego State played in Qualcomm. Yeah. And they – you know, they were lucky to draw 14,000, 15,000 people in a 60,000, 70,000-seat stadium. I've seen that. It's – you still – now, we have other issues that we have to address, like if you're going to have the marching band and – you know, how – if you're going to have that social distancing and let in a certain percentage of fans into the stadium to give you some of that environment, you, it, it's not the same. You know, Wyoming at San Diego State was not obvious. It's – you know, obviously we're not going to compare it to Ohio State, Michigan. Right. But, you know, that was what that atmosphere was always like for them, and it felt like college football in the Mountain West. Yeah. It was weird. It was weird to see it that way. Um, but, you know, I've seen – uh, when I, you know, Tennessee games with 60,000 people and, you know, not everybody's going, you fill it up and you get enough of a vibe. It's not the same as when there's a hundred thousand. Like, yeah. Well, let me interrupt you. You know, that's like uh, Penn state. Ohio state goes to Penn state this year, you know, and uh, will it be dot out the night instead of white out the night? You know I mean? That's, you know, and, and the thing about it is think about it. Uh, the home field advantage in college football is probably, is probably as meaningful as any more than any other sport, I do believe, yeah. when you've got the huge crowd there. But when you don't, doesn't it favor, like the big-time team, doesn't it favor? I went to the house, the Alabama at Texas A&M game last year, and for a half and a little bit, Texas A&M was in the game. It was the largest crowd. I was part of the largest crowd at that point to ever see a football game in the state of Texas. There's a hundred and something thousand people there at Kyle Field. The point was Alabama finally got it rolling in the second half, too. I had a great second half. And and uh, and they quieted the crowd, so to speak. Uh, but I really think the smaller crowds on the road would favor uh, would favor the visiting juggernaut, right? Oh, I think that um, what happened in 2017 for Ohio State at Iowa would not have happened if you didn't have you know the night and the momentum of that crowd and the scent, yeah, and the wave and everything that went into it. Yeah, I mean that game. What was it? 17-17. Uh, right before the the flip switched and the fake and like all the, you know, momentum and belief went not just from the Nick Bosa the Nick Bosa play yeah, yeah it went not just from like Iowa maybe the players and coaches maybe thinking hey we've got a shot but then fifty sixty thousand people you know that momentum is a real thing people yeah I'm not gonna do like any sort of straw man argument but it you can feel it we've covered college football for a long time it it does impact sporting events. Mm -hmm. I can say that it's not real or whatever. That's I know that I've I've seen it happen, uh, and it, it happens at home for Ohio State, and it happens. Uh, it can happen negatively when you have something like Purdue or Iowa happen, and that that fan base, that stadium starts to believe. That's that's a huge challenge. I've also seen them overcome it and silence Penn State and and maybe their speakers uh, numerous times. Yeah. Over the last couple. Oh, of years. Oh, wait! You let the cat. You let the you let the uh, mountain lion out of the bag there, man. Yeah. Um, 
But I, I guess my, my point is that, you know, college football across the country is not always 100,000 people. And it's going right. to be weird if the horseshoe doesn't have that. And I think even if they're allowed to do it, you probably wouldn't have 100,000 crowds every single week. Um, when you talk about people wanting to watch it on TV, you think of like, you know, several million people every year watching the Bahamas Bowl and there's a hundred people in that, you know, that go travel for that bowl game. It's basically, you might as well just be playing in a television studio. Correct. I, I think that that, you know, is not ideal, but if we're looking for a short term, short term solution, it's fine. I don't think it's going to um, damage the product to a level that people wouldn't want to watch it. I do hey. agree with you that it's going yeah. to favor Alabama. It's going to favor Clemson. It's going to favor Ohio state, but those teams are favored anyway. Yeah, it's just I think it's going to favor them even more from the standpoint of the shock value of a home crowd being into it. You're exactly right. Hey, I just flashed through my mind. Can you imagine uh, an Ohio State home game without the ramp, you know, the ramp entrance of the band and stuff? But imagine this. You have the band, but due to social distancing, Script Ohio is like six times larger. <laughs> I mean, it would go literally from from the end of the stadium the breadth and the breadth and the width of the stadium—that would be—I'd pay to see that on well, television. And look, if if this is what it becomes with limitations, you're going to see places get creative. You know, Ryan Day's talked about this with just managing his own team. But you know, if you're talking about trying to make sure that it's a compelling product and you want the, as much of the atmosphere as you can, you're going to have to do things like that. If you want the band to be there, there's going to be new restrictions on that. But we've seen what Ohio State. Uh, and that band can do when tasked with the oh yeah innovate and they've done that so i'm sure they could come up with something really cool and maybe that maybe you borrow some ideas from like what the xfl did and maybe mic up more players and give uh, a different perspective maybe even doing it i probably boston, boston boston you really don't think that's gonna happen do you uh I, they're gonna mic up players and coaches on the sidelines when are you come on now let's don't uh, I, well, Maybe that won't. You haven't been to the dispensary, have you? <laughs> okay, so that idea probably wouldn't happen. But No, it wouldn't happen at Ohio State, but yeah. go ahead. It might happen at uh, Mississippi State. Well, to take take Wyoming and San Diego State back into it, maybe you know, maybe that's what you have to do to, to yeah. okay. the product a little bit. But, I mean, I, I'm just spitballing here, and, and I think that with enough time and as much money as invested here, you're, they're going to want to make sure that they can do anything they can to – if, if it's not the same Saturdays as before and the same pageantry that we're all used to, then you're going to have to find other ways to, to get that back. And I don't think that piping in crowd noise is going to recapture that. So what else can you do? I don't, I don't know what the solution is, and it probably would not be having Ryan Day wear a microphone and, and talk about his plays uh, to the rest of the country. That yeah. Probably, yeah. You're right. That was a bridge too far. But those are the kind of things that you're going to have to, I think, consider if you're going to recapture that because you know you know that the nfl will yeah. they're not gonna they're gonna leave no stone unturned to make sure people are watching that probably is a place where we might get the microphones that the xfl used but you know let me interrupt you though now now that you know because like you i, I brought this up like a month and a half ago that the tsunami of sports it could be coming of sports it could be coming in september or yeah. october um we know that there's going to be some type of like restrictions. I mean, there's got to be some type of restrictions, span, uh, crowd size, et cetera, unless you're just, you know, in some kind of 
area state, which is continuing to like almost deny that this thing has happened. Uh, but I digress. Uh, should knowing the fervor that's out there for the return of sports, but then in the fall for the for college football to go on as scheduled, so to speak, should schools uh, conferences be looking for premiums uh, from the standpoint of uh, television networks? Should they be looking at some kind of bonus premium uh, that that they should pay on top of that for providing that inventory? And but then on the flip side of that, will those networks say, "Well, wait a minute, we've got the NBA and the NHL and the uh, NFL and the uh, MLS." And uh, yeah, I counted the MLS in there just for Thank you. you. Thank uh, you. The MLS, et cetera. They they all want the same thing that they know more people are going to be staying at home, but they're going to be watching their sport. Uh, what I'm just as you said, spitballing here, but uh, where do you think that kind of uh, where do you think that kind of rolls? Because you could have sports 20 hours a day on your television, live sports. Yeah. Well, I think that to, to follow your cue there and, and, and see where that rabbit hole goes. You see what I'm saying? But making up maybe some of the lost revenue that you're going to lose from not having a huge well, home crowd, if it's a home crowd at all. If we know anything, it's that these television networks, when they lock in their contract, they mean it. And they're not in a hurry to go renegotiate unless there's a, be a benefit for them. Right. I think that there is probably – Wait a minute, kind of like Jerry Rangsdorf, but go ahead now. Exactly. I, but I think that there would be opportunities where uh, let's just continue down. I, I'm just going to keep piling on San Diego State and Wyoming. Uh, maybe there's an opportunity where this, this doesn't impact Ohio State much or maybe at all, but ESPN says we've got uh, full slate. We're going to have an, N an NBA game on Saturday. We've got NHL coming back, playoffs, Kentucky Derby, whatever. Wyoming, how, Master, how, would you guys feel, yeah, how, how would you guys feel about playing Tuesday at 5 o'clock? We'll give you $500,000 to do it. Well, I mean, these schools that are missing the guarantee games, potentially, I, that's just maybe one scenario. Yeah. But if they, need to, they, if they need to recoup some of that money and the broadcast networks say, hey, let's, let's spread this out and let's have – you know, if, if college football has to be flexible with their scheduling anyway, which they're going to have to be, what would be the difference between a Saturday game in the Mountain West or the Sun Belt or Conference USA and, and following what the MAC does? Uh, and maybe those MAC games don't even all wind up being in primetime. Maybe it's better to have it in the middle of the day. I, you know, yeah. if people are going to be getting back to work, and I recognize that you wouldn't want to sacrifice that, but not everybody is going to be. And, and, there's going to be an opportunity to put sports on every single night and you'd have to give some financial incentive to change that. I think that's, you know, yeah, as yeah. you and I, as you and I continue to talk to people, nobody is saying no to anything at this point because yeah. they know that the changes have to be made. Yeah. The flexibility is the word you're looking there. I mean, from a lot of people, because, um, Ohio state Penn state's going to be must watch television. You know, yeah. Ohio state Rutgers is not, you know, and, it will be in Columbus and Ohio, but it won't necessarily be wherever. So yeah. you need to take advantage of those. But you also, uh, you know, you also have to get away from the idea that tradition says, and I know they're thinking this way too. Tradition says football goes from the first, basically the last no weekend of August. I'm talking about college football to the, uh, to the second weekend or third weekend of January, you know, or the third Monday of January, second Monday of January, mm -hmm. you've got to 
I know they're going to be thinking about moving out of that necessarily traditional box, at least for this year, because everybody, if you do get the sense that everyone is not going to come online at the same time and everyone's not going to get the green light. Uh, but, that, you know, let's, before we get into like, uh, you know, a little replay of some of the Robert Landers, B.B. Landers uh, interview I did last week with him that you wrote a little story about, too, with it. And some other people have wrote stories about it, too, which was kind of like a, sort of a compliment in a way. But I digress. Um, let's get into, like, uh, the idea of can you have the Big Ten come back without all of its members? Can you have the Southeastern Conference? Because obviously you've seen that out there. We've yeah. talked to people who have talked in that re regard. No one's saying it overtly. Yeah, we're just going to go without – Northwestern, or we're going to just go without Minnesota or whomever might balk, you know, when we're there. I just threw those names out there. Yeah. Uh, I think if you come back, you've got to at least come back as a conference, as a whole conference. And like I projected many weeks ago, at least play a 10 game conference schedule, which could be retooled in a heartbeat with a computer, you know. But I don't know, Boston, what's your take on that? I think the most recent person I saw mention this was James Franklin, I think last week in a, a Zoom call with their beat reporters that, you know, that hypothetical that if New York wasn't ready and, or, or New Jersey and Rutgers couldn't play, would that stop the entirety of the Big Ten? And I know where he's coming from as a coach, that you could still put together a full slate of games, a competitive schedule, and that the Big Ten would get enough out of that to qualify for a potential college football playoff. But I think that it, it opens up so many other cans of worms if hmm. if Rutgers isn't allowed to play football this year are, are, are the other schools going to continue to give them their cut of the money so that they can stay afloat to return in 2021 or what would that mean for the rest of their athletic department because when they're ready to get a full cut too but go ahead now yeah because <laughs> well and Rutgers wouldn't be a perfect example of this because their financial situation is a bit of a mess anyway but but Maryland hmm. which can actually make some money off of football and then basketball but relies relies heavily on football to subsidize the rest of it. If they had issues in college park and couldn't play, yes, it wouldn't, I don't believe affect the balance of uh, the, the East division any, that the strength is still going to be at the top. It wouldn't affect the conference race to get to the college football playoff, but uh, it might tip the scales permanently for years to come if they are decimated financially. So yes. it's, you know, the SEC might want to cut Vanderbilt and not worry about if they can come along in Nashville Rutgers or Maryland, uh, you know, they're not going to have a great impact on who's going to win the Big Ten. But I don't I, – I struggle with the idea that you couldn't have whole leagues in place. And I, I think there's probably parts of the country where it's – the Pac-12 is, is also sounding optimistic about a full season. Their commissioner, you know, Larry Scott has talked about that in the last couple of days. But right. they've got some situations over there where it's it's hard to picture that right now. I don't know – maybe not all 130 teams are coming into college football this year, but it's just tough for me to get there mentally at this point where the big 10 would proceed and leave somebody behind because the ramifications for that are hard to even project right now and how that might impact the league for years to come. Those schools might not ever recover. And I don't think that that would be the kind of legacy that the, the big 10 wants to have. You know, what's interesting is, is as we sit here right now, the, I think this, this podcast is dropping on May the 12th. Am I correct? Yeah. Uh, and uh, Ohio State is scheduled to play at Oregon. I think it's September the 12th. Do I have that right? 
in essence, four months from as we speak, uh, one of the great intersectional uh, games uh, for the 2020 season is scheduled to take place. You know, we've really only been in this COVID-19, as I call it, quarantine, because it sounds, it rhymes with COVID-19. I even kind of started writing a story, a song about that. Well, I'm in quarantine due to COVID-19. And it's got some other stuff, which doesn't make sense, but the word spleen is in there. Yeah, we're, uh, we're working on it. Yeah, we got to find the, you got to work on the uh, the rhymes with Ian. But I digress. The, the bottom, what I'm saying is, we've only been in this for like, what, six weeks, five weeks, really. Uh, and it seems like it's been a long time. There's been a lot of progress made. And if you just kind of like you said, spitballing, if you could just, man, stick your knitting here for like another, you know, four, five, six weeks. And that's tough on the economy. I totally get it, man. I mean, it's going to hell in a handbasket without a doubt or hell in a face mask. But, uh, but if, you know, you could see things getting back to a situation to where that game could take place. I mean, that's four months from right now. That's a quarter, you know, a third of a year. I can, I can see it happening if, if things stay under wraps, but yet, like you said, you're getting even cross signals from Oregon where like a week and a half, two weeks ago, either their president of the University of Oregon or their athletic director, somebody made a comment that they could see classes beginning in the fall as scheduled, whether or not they'd be online or not, but, but they could see things getting back to some semblance of normal. And yet the governor came out of Oregon last week and in essence said, can't see them having huge crowds anywhere for a while now, you know, and uh, what just, as you sit here right now, what I'm getting to, I'm just trying to build up to this. I've got just sort of a, maybe it's a butterflies or maybe I ate something bad for lunch, but I got the feeling that that, that Oregon Ohio State game is going to happen. What is your feeling on it? It's going to have to be modified in some way. I, I believe that Oregon Ohio State is going to be played, um, and I'm optimistic of that optimistic that it will uh one thing i don't understand about you know the oregon governor and that and is why the prediction was made for sporting events and concerts through september at this point you know it's that's so far down the road and we've seen how how much this conversation has changed weekly or since the middle of march yeah i i think that that was you know and they have different data i I get all that i'm not trying to push it one way or the other I, i just think that's that's so far out there and you knew that that was going to cause some panic over a real marquee event on the Oregon calendar, on the Ohio state calendar, on the college football calendar, and that other people have, we're going to push back on that some way. Um, I, I would sit here and say, I'm less confident that Letterman Rowe would be, or, or the Ohio state media would be allowed to travel to Eugene for that. Um, just simply getting a team and a charter out there, you know, the travel right now is so complicated um, and trying to figure all that out for a game across the country. I don't envy the, the decision makers trying to, to manage all that right now. I think it's going to be played. I don't know that there's going to be fans there. Um, I hope it's I hope it's played. It's a matchup that we've all wanted to see for a really long time, but it also goes back to what you were talking about earlier, Tim. Like, this is a potential, you know, two teams in the college football playoff race, two of the best teams in the country, two potential – conference champions do we want to like do people want to see it without fans like 
Altson's got this reputation. I've never been there for, for noise and a unique situation. Um, you know, you've covered those matchups with them before, and they've played at really high-stakes games in the last decade. Yeah. What are, you know, what would we be sacrificing if we couldn't have some? I, I, will, tell, I will tell you something. Uh, I have a different take on it than a lot of people. I don't – I think the fans, the bands – what's something else that rhymes with ands? Anyway, I think the fans and the bands, they definitely add to the atmosphere. Yeah. But I want to tell you something. I've watched football practice where there aren't fans. I mean, I used to watch – back when we used to get to go to football practice and stand yeah. and watch – uh, I watched a hell of a lot more practice than I did the games. The games obviously are what matter, but it didn't it didn't taint my appreciation uh, for what I was uh, observing. The fact that fans weren't there, and like you said, if it ha- if you have to have huge fans to play football to play college football games, then like there are games in the Mountain West, there are games in the MAC that, that wouldn't happen. Right. You know. Uh, there are small college games where there's a thousand people there maybe on a good day. So I think it's a little, for what we think of about college football, you think of the noise, you know, the bands and the fans. But for the uh, vast majority of college football out there, which is division, you know, one double A for one of another term, you know, FCS uh, two, three, uh, NAIA, uh, there aren't. Huge fan. There aren't huge uh, uh, crowds, you know. In some places, the swag, for example, is many people. A lot of people go to see the bands and then leave at halftime, you know. Because I mean, you talk about entertainment. That yeah. was the great ripoff of the of the of the last decade was Florida A and M coming to Ohio State with that band. I mean, I, I very much look forward to that. That yeah. would have opened a lot of people's eyes. But I digress. So. I think you could play the football games without the fans and the bands and just for this one year. Because here's the thing. This, this whole thing reminds me of when my brothers and I used to go into our backyard. There was a, there was a run, a ditch, or whatever you wanted to call it, on the, that separated our yard from the people behind us. And we had a huge backyard in Lufkin, Texas. And that's where we played football, played baseball. We even had track meets back there. I always finished last, by the way, in whatever the competition was. But we would go – remember, this is East Texas. We would go, me and my older brother Ben, and we would go into the area near the ditch and look for water moccasins before we'd have a game. And we – you know, every week we would find one or two and either chase them off or do what you have to do with a water moccasin, which my opinion is a good water moccasin is a dead water moccasin. Uh, but I digress. But we'd hang them on a tree somewhere. And the point was, then we'd go play, Right feeling confident. You never get all the snakes out of the grass. You follow my drift. And that's kind of what you're going to be dealing with when you start opening these things. But then when you really start playing games and stuff, is you got you have to feel some semblance of confidence that you're going to be able to make a trip like that as a team, not, be, not have COVID-19 hanging out in the weeds or the grass, you know, and be able to come back. You're going to have to have confidence – that Oregon is going to prepare the visitors' locker rooms and stuff uh, sanitary enough that you you feel like there's not in jeopardy going in there. You're going to have to be able to go to a hotel where you believe and you're going to send advanced people out to check it out to believe that everything has been sanitized to the best of their ability. Uh, like I pointed out in that story, 
I wrote last week, you know, there's a good chance if they just go to all Big Ten schedule that you could see teams going in and out the day of the game on a, on a charter flight. Why, why risk staying in a hotel if you don't have to when uh, the parameters can't be guaranteed uh, on what you have at home and stuff? But I, I see four months from now, I see there being much more of a grip on what this thing is all about. But the one thing that's going to be missing, unless there's some miracle, by miracle, maybe that's not the right term, but some really advanced uh, progress is a vaccine. Because that's the only thing. <laughs> that's the only thing where you're going to be able to guarantee there's no snakes in the grass. Right. And I, I think that's a good analogy I came up with because I was just sitting here thinking about how me and my brother, Ben, we'd come walking out of there and they saying, you know, you're chasing foul balls down into the creek. You know what I mean? Or the, the <laughs> ditch. We're not even worried about snakes. And if yeah. you know East Texas, you know, there's really snakes and yeah. yeah, water moccasins more than rattlesnakes, but you could run up on anything. And that's kind of the jeopardy that like a Gene Smith and these guys are wrestling with. And, you know, Gene has been, I don't know, is ahead of the curve on this stuff, I think, is anyone in, in the major college realm. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that, that that was an incredible story. And I really appreciate the analogy because I was sitting there for the first half and I, I didn't know where we were going. Um, but that's really the perfect way to sum it up because – uh, as you're saying, if there's no vaccine, you know, then there's going to be some element of risk. Uh, there's also an element of risk to playing the game of football, period. Um, so you have to determine what, what the acceptable amount is for these teams and, and what what they can control and how much hand sanitizer you're going to take and where you're going to stay. I mean, you can't – Ohio State could not fly to Eugene, Oregon, and back in one day. That would not work. Correct. That. Correct. You know, even if you're talking about uh, some some of the far-flung far flung places in the Big Ten, if Nebraska was at Rutgers and I don't know their schedule, you know, that's right. going to be difficult to turn around. So teams are going to have to stay in hotels. Um, you know, maybe one or two stays per season as opposed to six or seven uh, in their mind mitigates the risk enough that you're okay with that. Yeah, that's what I pointed out in that story. There are some places you can't, and, and depending on the television time, that's yeah. also the big, uh, the big squeeze. But go ahead, though. Yeah, and, and I think that that's, that's one reason why, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again, that they, they, they should not lock themselves into any decision in May. The governor of Oregon should not have been locking in a schedule through September right now. Nobody knows what it's going to look like in three weeks or four weeks uh, or when that, you know, you said it, it, you didn't want to call it a miracle. If we have a vaccine in the next two months, that would be a miracle. Yeah. And, uh, I can't think of any miracle I've ever wanted more than a vaccine for COVID-19. Uh, there's another There's another rhyme for you, uh, for your song. There you go. But, you know, there's, there are not just one or two moving parts here figuring out a schedule. There are hundreds of decisions that have to be made, and they, you know, it's – what I thought was uh, really important about the story that you wrote last week was that you, you, you mentioned five or six or seven of them that they have to consider just for practice. But yeah. and that was just an example of how difficult it's going to be. And it goes beyond that, you know, to hundreds of thousands of decisions just to get through uh, a day of practice, let alone a game when it's exponentially more difficult. Yeah. So I thought that you, you summed that up well because you can't – when I say that they can't decide something right now, that's true – but you also have to be prepared for that moment when it's when it arrives in June, that's and that's the point. why there that's why there are so many conversations right now because they have to work through every single one of these 
contingencies and if they're going to travel and where they would stay and how they would do it. Like that's, that's just one small piece of that. What airline are you going to use? What, what charter are you going to use? Do you remove seats from the planes? Like I can't even think of every outcome that it could be, but that's why you have, and Ohio state is different because we've talked about that compared to the mountain West and hundred thousand people. Well, the logistics of operating this, this death star, Ohio State football program come with complications that you'll never even think about, never even arise, and they have to work through yeah. that now. And that's why you see these, you know, places like Gene Smith and Clemson and Alabama setting the tone because they have more people and more experience at dealing with all these issues than anybody else. I trust that Ohio State can get it done, and if they can't find a way uh, to lead the Big Ten, we've got a lot of other problems. But uh, I think that they're doing the things that are right right now. Praying for a vaccine for this COVID nineteen. I'm with you, man. I like it. No, you're exactly right. That's what I that's what I was pointing out is that every week it seems like the scenario changes. And so what are they gonna be what are gonna be the parameters once this thing once uh, Amy Acton or uh, or Governor DeWine says, Okay, you know, you can have you know they're almost gonna have to like uh put out an edict just for sports teams, I think, that they can get back together. Because uh, that'll be, you know, the NHL, the Blue Jackets, et cetera, the, the crew. I mean, can they all go in their locker room at the same time? Well, they have to shower in shifts, you know, uh, et cetera. You're right. The vaccine is what will be the game changer. And everybody knows it, but nobody wants to wait that long. <laughs> That's the thing you're dealing with. Are we, are we there yet, Danny? Are yeah. we there yet? You know, and speaking of are we there yet, uh, kind of a tough segue, but uh, a ragged segue. But, you know, I had a conversation with Robert B.B. Landers last week. He wrote a story about it. He got some pretty good play, but about a guy who uh, is one of the more personable people we've ever met covering Ohio State football, uh, entertaining in every form or fashion, liked, enjoyed being on the stage as well as being in the lineup, et cetera, and went through the whole draft, didn't hear his name called, then didn't sign a free agent contract. And I had him on. He explained some of the reasons why. And, uh, you know, I think you, you said it would be good to maybe replay a little bit of that uh, here in our uh, – in the Tim May podcast. But uh, just real quick, just before, before we start it, uh, we'll give, give folks a preview. What stood out to you about the conversation? Yeah, I think you and I had mentioned this before about how there were going to be fewer opportunities for guys with, if there was no rookie camp in the NFL. Um, and – one thing that really jumped out to me was when Robert Landers was talking about why he thought he hadn't signed uh, a free agent deal at this point. Mm -hmm. We had mentioned that Brandon Bowen not getting to go to the combine. And I talked about how, you know, Zach Bourne had described that process to me. And basically you're going station to station to station to station and every team uh, and their set of doctors is looking at you and getting their own medical information. And they can do some of that on pro day as well, but, um, Missing those opportunities, I thought, well, maybe that's why Brandon Bowen, you know, really missed out on the combine. Well, it turns out, you know, there was no real – there was no way with team visits eliminated, uh, with no combine and no pro day for Robert Landers. You know, he's not a guy that jumps into your mind as dealing with injuries because he didn't didn't force him to miss a lot of games. But it was either two years ago or three years ago when he was playing the entire middle of the season with a, a foot problem that nobody, you know, knew about. He played through it. He never left the lineup. I don't remember exactly what the issue was, Tim, but yeah, you know, he's not 
he's not a guy that you thought of because it didn't keep him out of many games. He battled. As soon as he, as soon as he brought it up, I'm going, yeah, he missed. He That's, missed. Yeah, he missed games. You're right. But go ahead, though. You're right. That was the lightning bolt, you know, yeah. lightning bolt of information for me. It was like, okay, well, that, He's not the only one that's having to deal with this, but he's one of the, you know, highest profile players left. Yeah, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to mislead people. I mean, you know, do I think Robert Landers is the ne- BB Landers is the next Geno Atkins? You know, no. I mean, I'll be flat honest. Uh, you know, so it's just he's a great example of what of 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 the void that happened this year without the uh, on campus workouts for people. Without and and, you, and on top of that, you didn't get invited to the combine. You didn't get to make. You didn't get to have teams maybe fly you in uh, with some arrangements from your uh, from your uh, agent. Fly you in for like a push pull tug thing, you know, where they figure out whether your hands are all normal now, your elbows, your shoulders, because everybody has a different opinion, right? Just ask the Nick Saban and the Miami Dolphins about Drew Brees, but I digress. So, uh, uh, but. But he didn't have the lecture, and he was one of those guys who would have benefited, as it turns out, greatly from that because on top of everything else, they would have understood that he didn't just dye, the, dye his hair occasionally or wear a cowboy hat. There's a lot of substance to this guy, you know, and when you're just noticing a guy from afar, you're watching him on TV like, you know, like a average fan or something, you don't really get to know him unless you have the chance to have these interactions. So that's – that's what stood out to me the most. I mean, he's a guy who really cares, man. He's been really responsible with his little daughter, Jordan, you know, uh, et cetera. And uh, just I think he got caught, you know, fell through the cracks. Yeah. And, and as you said, though, he – and you brought it up with him in the, in the interview, which we'll play that clip here in a bit. That he's got – it's not like this is going to be the end of his life. Right. He has a, a lot of different ways that he can continue to give back and a lot of – professional interests that could really work in his favor um you know he could be a mental health advocate or he could show up on letterman row or show up on the big 10 network i mean he yeah uh, he has all those options available to him but he he's i think it was just to hear him talk about you know the journey not being over and sometimes that that's uh, you know a little bit of a cliche but you know the fact that he's not closing the door and he shouldn't at this point he can still be a professional football player you're only going to get this opportunity in his situation, you know, for a year or two before that door does close for real. So, yeah, you know, he he should. Uh, I applaud what he's doing, and I he's got a, he's still got a fan in me and you for sure. Oh yeah, and I, I wish you hadn't brought that up about the Lone Road because I was hoping that we get him. You know, if things don't work <laughs> out for him in the NFL, he would be a great addition to whatever it is. I might make it the uh, the Tim and BB show or the BB and the BB and Tim show, because I'm telling you, he would bring fresh, he would bring a fresh idea to every situation. You're going to have so, to fight with Beanie for him. Exactly. Oh, yeah. But, hey, uh, I'm digressing, of course. So let's let's get to a little clip, a uh, couple of clips from that interview, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about a few other things I wanted to hit on with you briefly uh, before we sign off. But go ahead. Here's, here's ladies and gentlemen, here's BB Landers talking about maybe the disappointment of not being drafted, but how he's not really ready to give up this journey of playing football. Ladies and gentlemen, it's such an honor to uh, get a hold of one of my favorite players of all time at the the Ohio State University football program. Uh, You know him as BB. I know him as Robert BB, but Robert BB Landers. Robert Robert BB Landers, welcome to the Tim A podcast, my man. I appreciate you for having me, brother. Uh, Let's give people an update. I mean, there are, 
I don't know if you know this, you've, you've got kind of like, you could be a Pied Piper because you have quite the following of uh, folks who have been very interested in you throughout your career, especially as you came on and became a big-time player on the Ohio State defensive line. But they're, they're very curious about, you know, number one, why you weren't drafted, and you wouldn't even know the answer to that. But number two, just sort of how things have gone since the draft when you didn't hear your name called. And, and so far, I think you haven't signed a, a, a free agent contract, at least as, that I know of as of yet. But just, number one, uh, what, what, what is your status right now vis-a-vis uh, in, 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 in pro football? Uh, as of right now, you know, I have I still have not signed um, with the team. Uh, you know, the process has you know, been a little interesting. You know, with everything in our in our world right now going on, so it's kind of <laughs> put a little bit of a, a, a damper on the process. But it's one of the things I'm just taking the process one day at a time. So um, I know from talking, to, you know, speaking with my agent and him, kind of you know doing his job and shopping me around, and even talking to Coach Johnson a little bit. You know, the biggest thing with me right now is just me being able to past the physical, you know, due to some of the injuries that I had, you know, while I was at Ohio State, you know, that comes with the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it brought up some some curiosities for some for some teams as far as, you know, where is my health physical-wise. And um, so as of right now, you know, we're waiting for things to kind of, you know, settle down and um, teams to start to open up so I can get in, get a physical, and then um, from there prepare myself to be on somebody's team and be going to somebody's camp. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the COVID-19 quarantine, I'm writing a song about that, by the way, uh, the COVID-19 <laughs> quarantine, I'm going to have you lead singer on it, especially if you wear that cowboy hat. But, uh, I'll definitely do that. It, it, would be, it would have a country, kind of a country bent to it. But the COVID-19 quarantine really hurt guys like you. Uh, you know, you saw where Jay Sean Cornell slipped in like the seventh round, you know, and, and things like that. I mean, it really hurt that you didn't get to go to the, the combine, but then number two, you didn't get that pro day at Ohio State or, or anywhere else to really prove yourself, right? Yeah, it, it hurt big time. Um, you know, not getting the combine invite, of course, you know, it, it getting an invite to the combine, number one is any player's dream, but it's one of those things, too, you really kind of – you get the, let's say, first dibs on making an impression on – GMs and coaches of, you know, different uh, organizations. But um, one thing about – the beautiful thing about Ohio State is our pro day is the next best thing you're going to get to the combine is because we we pretty much have almost every single team being represented at our pro day. And, um, you know, kind of coming in, uh, I had left where I was training that early, uh, kind of come down, just come back and get some work in with Coach Johnson because, you know, he wanted to do things a little differently this year to where he was running our pro day. So, kind of come back, polish some things up, you know what I mean? And yeah. um, kind of get the, 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 the coach Johnson uh, critique on everything. So, um, you know, coming back, I felt like I was, you know, I was peaking and I felt good and I was performing well. I was doing the drills good. 225 was good. Like everything was just like was happening at the right time. And, you know, this, this COVID hit and it was just kind of put a, put a roadblock in front of a lot of people's journeys, me being one of those people. So, um, you know, it definitely hit hard and definitely affected a lot of guys in, in negative ways. But at the end of the day, I've been trying to look at it as from a positive perspective of, you know, the journey is not over with. And, you know, I'm blessed to wake up every morning and me still have an opportunity some way, somehow, when it's clear up to be in somebody's camp and, you know, still to continue my football career, making 
uh, childhood dream of reality. So I'm just trying to take it day by day. God gives me 24 hours. I try to take advantage of the 24 the best that I can. BB, one of the things I like about you is you talk in complete sentences. You're coherent. <laughs> I mean, you let people know. You have a way of letting people know how you feel, et cetera. Uh, when you sat there on your couch in your chair or while you were pacing or when you were running outside uh, to work off the nerves, when you didn't hear your name called, can you explain how disappointing that is? And, you know, I don't think anybody has projected you in the in the realm of Geno Atkins, for example. But, you know, the fact that you've got video playing against big-time opponents uh, in college football should get you a sniff if you follow my drift from a uh, mm-hmm. from a draft standpoint. And uh, how just disappointing was that was that evening, that afternoon and evening for you, the third day of the draft especially? Uh, you know, it was very disappointing, um, especially the third day because the third day is like the longest day. You know, it's, it starts at noon and you just – you sitting there on the couch for hours and, you know, you're, you're watching guys get drafted. And with me, like – I'm happy for every guy in the draft that got picked up. I'm happy for every guy that, that has gotten picked up from you know the free agency standpoint. But um, from more of a, a personal selfish standpoint, you know, I was I was very disappointed. Um, and in moments like that, you kind of sit back and think like, okay, what could I have done differently? And um, I had to take a moment. I ended up calling um, some family and you know, talk, talking to some of the more let me say kind of my spiritual foundation of family that I have. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, it kind of put me back into perspective. Um, one thing that, you know, I've always taught my brothers when something don't go our way, you get 24 hours, be upset, pissed off. And after that, you know, it's right back to work. So it was one of those things where in the moment, you know, I was, I was disappointed. Um, and like I said, I, I tried to recap on what could, I have done what did I do and did not do um, leading up to, you know, draft weekend. But at the same time, too, I also had to bring myself back to reality of of, uh, some of it is due to the fact that I did not get a pro day and then I did not get invited to the combine, which those are things that are just out of my hands. You know, there's nothing I could do with that. So, um, you know, I've just been trying to stay from there on. From then 24 hours, once I 24 hours in it, I've been back to the mindset of, I'm going to stay on track. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep pushing myself how I've always pushed myself. So that way when the opportunity is there to present itself, I'm ready for it. Yeah, very interesting, uh, Boston. Just like you said, uh, leading into that uh, that interview, those clips there, B.B. Uh, Landers is, you know, and, and just then he wasn't really on stage either. Uh, it was more of, you know, him just talking matter-of-factly about things. That's why I think he's got a future <laughs> – talking uh, and maybe entertaining uh, past even his football career whenever it's done. But, you know, this is a great, great example. Uh, I, had, I was talking with a guy who used to play football at Ohio State. He was a walk-on named Obi Stillwell. You know Obi. Mm-hmm. And he's been, he's been in the uh, media off and on, you know, for a while too. And, uh, but he said he made a good point last year, a couple of years ago when I was talking to him about one, one of the football players he had had some problems. And he goes, you know, the thing about football, it's that rare sport that somebody else tells you you're done. Meaning it's rare that you get to the point, you know, like Tom Brady still playing, right? It's rare that you get to the side. Uh, Robert Smith, the interview I had with him a couple of weeks ago, you can still watch that on my podcast, but he decided to walk away from it before it told him, you know, or before it before it uh, wore him out or told him you were done. Jim Brown did the same thing. But few players have that luxury. 
And uh, usually somebody else tells you, no, uh, you don't get to play football anymore because you can't, you can't go out in your backyard and duplicate <laughs> Saturdays and Sunday afternoons in the Horseshoe or at Paul Brown Stadium or at whatever the name of the stadium is in Cleveland now. You can't duplicate that on your own with like your kids or something. Yeah, it's, I mean, we've said it before and it, it's hard to even really, even when you say it this way, like it's the most physically demanding game that there is. It's an extremely demanding mental game as well. And it's just the hardest game, you know, for anyone to play. And it takes so much out of you. I think that's why you're starting to see there's more awareness now. And BB has, of course, talked about this with mental health and all, all those other issues that um, you're seeing more players trying to take control of that the best they can and maybe not waiting until that moment where, you know, you can't get out of bed or, you know, any of the other stuff that can happen when you play this particular game for a really long time. Right. It's, I mean, the people that play this game uh, at a, at any level, but at the level that we cover and go on and play it at the next level, uh, even beyond this, they all, they will have my uh, never ending respect because of course it is, it is so difficult and they put in so much work. And then when that's like, when you're talking about BB here, the fact that he doesn't want to give it up at this point and hasn't had that opportunity that he's worked his whole life for and is willing to continue to do whatever it takes just to play it one more day. I mean, I will never say a bad word about guys that, that are doing that. Or, you know, I, as you said earlier, is he Geno Atkins? No, but uh, I'm not going to ever criticize somebody for trying. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause uh, as you talked to her, I was just thinking about, you know, there, there are a lot of people that love to watch back in the day, love to watch Acapulco cliff diving, but very few guys climbed up the rocks and did it, you know, <laughs> because uh, it took guts, it took skill, it took guts. Uh, maybe you had to be a little bit nuts. Yeah. That's what it's like to play in the line uh, uh, in, in, in big time football. Is you, like I said a while ago, you know, you can, you can be – a, a retired quarterback and you can have a retired receiver and y'all can go out and throw the ball around, you know, it won't be the same as football, no. but you can't duplicate uh, the trenches of, of big time major college and pro football of guys running into each other, hell bent uh, on assignments and getting the job done and getting usually a lot less of the credit than, than the guys who are in the skill positions. And that's what I'm talking about there, but there are guys, who absolutely love it, you know, and uh, that's what, you know, you miss. And that's why you, you keep, you kind of, if you're physically gifted enough and you're, and you're healthy and you're sound of mind, you want to play it as long as you, as long as possible, but yeah. you definitely want to, you definitely want a chance to get paid for it <laughs> on a big time basis. That's the yes. other lure. Let's not, let's not discount that because, yes. you know, if you can get to that first free agent contract, it can set you up for the rest of your life. If you've got a, a smart agent and a financial advisor, and you're being pretty keen yourself. Right. Hey, uh, speaking of that, uh, another ragged segue, but <laughs> Ohio State, Ohio State, you know, is producing players for the draft. Uh, that's the lure of coming to Ohio State, I think, as much as anything else anymore. I know the big-time big time education you get at Ohio State, uh, even if it's going to be online. <laughs> but – uh <laughs> uh, from now on, maybe, but uh, like University of Phoenix suddenly got a football team, right? But uh, uh, I want to see that Southern New Hampshire University team, and they, they could be pretty damn good too. But I digress. 
don't know where they'd play. Maybe they could play in Manchester, Ryan Day Stadium. But I digress <laughs> again. Um, the the recruiting beat has gone on, uh, yeah. Austin. Uh, and you know, what's just what's your take on it? How successful during this uh, pandemic uh, quarantine, uh, looking for a vaccine uh, moment? Uh, the Ohio State recruiting beat has continued, in my opinion, as strong, if not stronger, than it's ever been. What's going, what are we witnessing here? Yeah, I think, well, you have uh, a recruiting staff in, that, with Mark Pantone that is cutting edge and one of the best that you're ever going to find in college football, basically a dream team when it comes to recruiting and their graphics department and, and Pantone's you know, ability to grind through tape and know who he wants. But you also have you know, a, a coaching staff right now with tireless recruiters uh, for the most part, up and down that lineup, that, that taking the cue from Ryan Day, and that they they have more to sell than I think has Ohio State's probably ever had in the history of the school. Um, and that's granted, that's uh, a mouthful, but I don't yeah. think that that's I don't think that that's being a prisoner of the moment. When you look at the NFL draft picks, the the way that academic reputation has been continued to enhance, uh, you know, the the success on the field, both in uh, the Big Ten. And when they send guys on to the NFL, you know, the real life Wednesdays, I mean, on and on I could go, they've never had more of that at the same time. And so you combine that with the quarantine and the fact that the kids can't visit. And a lot of them, as you know, have had chances to do that previously when they were juniors or, you know, and that helped. Randy Day talked about that, I think, you know, maybe a month ago on a conference call that they'd done a lot of that work in advance yeah. so that these kids could pull the trigger without needing that extra visit this spring or potentially in the fall. But I think that, you know, these kids know that their, their options are not going to be the same. They're going to be limited compared to what their other classes have been. They can't play this game all the way up until December. Uh, if the recruiting restrictions are go through June or July, um, well, you might not have time to take all five visits. Maybe if you don't know, if you know, you don't need them, you might as well take your spot. So I think there's been a domino effect around the country now that Ohio State has so much to sell to the five-star, these five-star kids, which I think the latest, some of the uh, rankings were updated today, and two new Ohio State guys got five stars from rivals. Yeah. And so you have that, and it's now become a national thing. So Ohio State's getting full. So other like high four stars or, or three stars are needing to jump on board. So you saw what Tennessee did. And they started racking up commit after commit day after day. Like, I think everybody wants to make sure that they have a seat um, by December when this thing is really, you know, the schedule has been changed, but they, they want to make sure that they're locked in. You may see in the fall, this might not happen at Ohio State specifically, but you might see a, a bunch of decommits once they can start visiting again. Who knows how that's going to play out? But if we're talking about Ohio State specifically, uh, which we are, yeah. I think it's just a, a – this is the reflection of how strong the brand is right now compared to – it's not like they've ever had talent in Columbus before. We know that. But the way that they're doing it, the way the sales pitch they have, the commitment to – if 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 Kerry Combs doesn't have uh, six or eight hours that he's got to spend in the office, you know, working on schemes and doing with the current players, you know that he's going to do something with it. And that's probably FaceTiming a lot and texting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You give these great recruiters more time than they usually have. Well, I think you can see the results. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, 
I think, like you said, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Number one, facilities are really second to none. Ohio State's facilities, and they're still huh, and they're still adding on. That's from uh, Lickenbach, <laughs> Texas. Um, but their uh, facilities are second to none. The training staff is second to none. Um, Adam Stewart, Sean Bar- Barnhouse, those guys. Mickey Marotti is second to none yeah. in the country. Think about it. If you get recruited and you're a defensive lineman, you've got Larry Johnson sitting there who's going to be tutoring you. You've also got Greg Madison sitting there who's going to be giving you his two cents worth. Uh, you know, and uh, you've got, like you talked about, Kerry Combs was in the NFL for two years and yet has, produced, has helped produce all of these either first-round draft picks or guys who have become big-time stars in the National Football League in the, in the secondary, especially cornerback. Uh, and then on the offensive side, you've got Ryan Day, uh, who is his reputation is just snowballing as we speak. Corey Dennis, the new quarterback coach, yeah, you can say uh, uh, you can say that uh, uh, you know they got the, that he doesn't have a lot of experience. But then again, check it out, he's got a lot of experience. He's been in that system for a long time now. Uh, he's considered very intelligent by his. Uh, former boss and, by the way, a uh, father-in-law, a guy named Durbin Meyer. And so you've got that going for him. But then you got Brian Hartline out there at wide receiver. you got Tony Alford uh, at running backs. He's produced some pretty decent running backs in his career at several different places, but uh, especially Ohio State. And then Greg Studrawa, who finally his reputation is starting to come back. <laughs> you know, he had a really good reputation, I'm telling you, when he was at LSU and places like that and for whatever reason – People started nitpicking on him, but the way they're recruiting for the offensive line now and the guys they're the, the offensive lines they're producing. And then you got Kevin Wilson, who's you know, were it not for some whatever the, the problems that happened at Indiana, most of which I don't think um, were his fault. I'm talking about from the standpoint of a couple of squeaky wheels really got listened to over there. He'd still be a head coach somewhere. I mean, he, he I you just like the way this guy thinks, the way what he brings to an offensive staff. And, of course, four of those guys I just named are all millionaires now, are now making over a million dollars a year. So they're being uh, duly compensated where that's going to be looked at because of the COVID-19. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see where revenues go over the next year. But I digress. But the bottom line is the attractions. And then, like you said, you got Chase Young, the Boses, all these people uh, giving their testimony to what they picked up while at Ohio State, and just in the the snowball effect is ridiculous. You know what I when you started that and you were talking about the sales pitch for defensive ends, I, I think that this is really it just popped into my mind when you said it. This great like what if defining moment for the course of the Big Ten, the state of Ohio State, you know the program. Like if Bill O'Brien doesn't leave Penn State and doesn't take Mike Vrabel with him, and Penn State doesn't, you know. Yeah. Give Larry Johnson a role. I'm waiting. He, I'm, 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 I love serendipity. Keep going. Yeah, like, and he doesn't come to Ohio State and get this string of guys and develop the Boses and Chase Young and now Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and Jonathan Cooper and going, you know, Sam Hubbard, Tyquan Lewis, Jalen Holmes. I mean, uh, I mean, talk about a move that maybe, maybe it's just, maybe it's just me. I can't. I won't speak for everyone. At the time, I thought, well, that's a really good higher for the defensive line coach. Um, you know, I can, I can also understand why maybe Penn State didn't want to make him a head coach because I didn't know Larry Johnson at that point. Um, but the way 
that it's transpired since then and getting to know him, I, I absolutely would have let him take control of that program at least for a year dude, dude. on a basis. He's the most over overlooked. Maybe that's the right word, yeah. you know. But clearly, they wanted to go out of house at that point, you know, for whatever reasons. Yeah. But but you've been around Larry John as much as I have. I've heard him give uh, talks at uh, coaching conventions and things like that. I mean, the fervor he brings, and like when we were interviewing him a couple of weeks ago, and I was asking him about how do you, how hard is it to stay fresh? I mean, he basically sees that as his job yeah. is to stay fresh, to keep adding to, don't teach. You're not teaching, uh, you know, you're not teaching history 101 every year. You're trying to advance, you know, his, uh, he's trying to advance his course every year and how he's teaching it and what he's bringing to the fore, what works and what doesn't. And just the litany, the encyclopedia, the catalog that he's gone through just at Ohio State and the way he's changed the way uh, he even goes about his business. That, that's a book unto itself as far as a textbook goes for becoming a big-time college assistant coach, but definitely a big-time college assistant defensive a defensive line coach from the college ranks. Yeah, I think it, you know, it just it just popped into my mind as as being such a hugely significant move. Um, you know, obviously it impacted Ohio State and Penn State directly, but I mean, think about where some of these guys, you know, uh, might have gone. I think Ohio State always had a good chance with Urban Meyer recruiting the Bosas. Yeah, that was going to go, but you know, Larry Johnson had that reputation for recruiting the DMV, and then he goes and gets you know Chase Young out of there, and has the you know pick these guys that he already has committed for the next couple years. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean that I, Ohio State would have had another great defensive line coach. They would have hired one. We know that that's true, but I think they sort of, you know, everything lined up where they wound up with a guy who has a claim to be one of the best to ever do it. Yeah, and imagine what. In, Things could look very different without him. It was Crazy. last week or two weeks after the draft when we were talking about it, and you were, you know, that string of top five defensive draft picks and the way Ohio State's going. I mean, that might not happen without Larry Johnson. True yeah. that. And it's yeah, all, all these guys, you know, the coordinators get the attention and all that. Um, yeah, man, yeah. A lot of this yeah. is not possible without Larry Johnson. Hey, let me give me time for one quick anecdote before we go, though. This is the Tim May podcast, not the Tim May Ohio State podcast. All. <laughs> One quick thing to noticed over the weekend, Roy Horn uh, passed away. It was a part of the uh, famous Siegfried and Roy show that was a uh, magic show that was so popular at the Mirage Hotel. Can I tell a personal anecdote? Okay, so uh, after, Ohio, after Ohio State, after Buster Douglas got back from Tokyo and knocking out Mike Tyson, uh, about two weeks later, a week and a half later, uh, Steve Wynn, the owner of the Mirage, uh, CEO of the Mirage Hotel, flew his plane uh, to Columbus to pick up Buster and John Johnson, his manager, J.D. McCauley, et cetera, and they invited me to go along with them. So we get on the airplane, the Mirage plane, and uh, sitting on the plane there when we get on is Dr. J, Julius Irving, right, the basketball superstar. There, anybody who doesn't remember. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of people who just live in today. So anyway, anyway, what I'm getting to is we di- I digress. We fly out there. Uh, the reason Dr. J was on the plane is because – Steve Wynn had done his homework that Dr. J was Buster's hero growing up because Buster wanted to be a big-time basketball player at one point and was on a Linda McKinley state championship team, but I digress. So we get to Las Vegas. They put us in limos to take us from the airport, McCarran, to the Mirage Hotel, which was basically brand new at that point with the volcano out front and all that stuff. And, uh, and they put us in different uh, limos, and 
I ended up, it was me and Dr. J shared a limo. So we're talking about all kinds of stuff driving from, uh, he's matter of fact, he was talking a little bit about Michael Jordan really rising as a superstar. And, and this is before he ever won a championship, you know, and it was, it was pretty funny. So we get there, anyway, they usher us in and they take us straight in and pretty much without any further ado, walk us right into the Siegfried and Roy show, which is about to start and put us right up front in this little uh, half uh, moon uh, booth, right yeah. in the front row. There's some other people sitting over in here, but that's, you know, that's the way it was set up. So we're, anyway, long story short, Siegfried and Roy come out and they do all, you know, they got their tigers and all this kind of stuff, but they're really, their climax of the show is all of a sudden they walk out an elephant to the middle of the stage, literally from me to, I'm, I'm looking through a door here to the far wall of my family room. There, it's about 30 feet away, the, the elephant is from us. And Siegfried and Roy, all of a sudden, they, they just are watering and they go like this, and this big curtain comes down. And then just as quickly they go like that, and the curtain goes up and the elephant's gone, okay? Steve Wynn, by the way, has tunnel vision where he can barely see, just, a, just barely see. And uh, he's sitting right next to me, and uh, Buster's sitting on the other side of him. And Steve Wynn starts going real quietly, bring him back, bring him back. And he starts going, bring him back, and starts screaming. And the whole crowd starts screaming, bring him back. And Roy goes like this. You know, like, what are you saying? <laughs> so he looks at Siegfried, and they go, foop, the curtain comes down, and then, foop, the curtain goes back up, and there's the elephant. I'm <laughs> telling you. And uh, you had to be there. To, but but they were great showmen, at, you know, it, during their time. And uh, anyway, after the thing was over, uh, Steve went to me and another guy, because uh, Buster went, and then went over to the room. He introduced us to Siegfried and Roy. And I got, you know, and, of course, you know, Roy Horn got mauled by his own tiger, uh, about uh, 13 years later, and their show kind of like uh, kind of withered after that a little bit. But uh, but the bottom line was uh, that was my brush with uh, Siegfried and Roy, Roy in particular, and they were great showmen. And I wanted to tell people that anecdote, and you know maybe I'll warn them in my uh, tweets about this that I'm going to have an anecdote, and you can clip off after Boston says goodbye. But you know what, Boston, we're done for another week, my man. I appreciate you coming on uh, with my podcast. You're as much of it as I am, but. Thank you very much, my man. Anytime, especially if you got more stories like that in reserve. And I know yeah. you do. I just need to wait. I, I need to tell them earlier, not later in the show. I've I got all kinds of flying stories I can tell, as your your buddy Will Crawl will tell you. But Absolutely. until next week, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tim May for Boston. You know him as Austin Ward. Uh, keep on watching, and we'll see you then.